puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Side chatters, we've been around long enough to realize that the political circus we see on the surface of our society is merely a show for the masses. And the real game, the real deal making, and the true players and agendas that drive the direction of the SS Earth are all deeply hidden from the view of the unsuspecting public. The real question, though, is how deep do these behind the scenes elements actually go? We've heard many bold claims over the years that try to make sense of our position in the dark. But there are some persistent themes that seem to re-emerge regularly. The reoccurring notion of non-human elements in play, even pulling the strings of our own puppet masters from backstage, that a slave system was covertly crafted to suppress our spiritual evolution and contain our consciousness, leaving man to be not much more than the ignorant cattle in a sophisticated human slaughterhouse, and that humanity itself could very well have been built from the ground up under a hierarchy of intelligent beings that we aren't even aware exist. Of course, we know the planet has a long history of strange sightings and encounters, both craft and beings, that are not to be talked about outside of these silly conspiracy circles. And our history, sciences, and political spheres are so full of smoke and mirrors and misinformation that we find ourselves going to some pretty exotic places on our search for truth. Well, today we're going to just such an exotic place, seeking the insights of today's guest, Tolik. Interestingly enough, Tolik is an Earth-human representative of the Andromeda Council, an intergalactic, interstellar, and interdimensional governance and development body of aligned, benevolent star systems and planets of sentient, intelligent life for worlds in both the Milky Way and Andromeda galaxies. In deep space, this governance body is known by its ambassadors and diplomats as the Galactic Council. He's been given the name Tolik as an Earth-based public persona name by his contacts within the Council, they indicate they've been in communication with him by various methods since the age of five. His spirit essence first experienced life on the planet Dakote in the Tegeta star system, one of the seven major stars in the Pleiades. However, in his earthly incarnation, he spent 17 years in the healthcare software industry, a brief stint in venture capital, and 12 subsequent years in international banking before leaving the system and becoming a full-time discloser of the mind-to-mind -mind messages he's been getting personally from the Andromeda Council. So I hope your trade tables are closed with your seatbacks in the upright lock position, because we're going on a wild ride today, people. Our brother from some other intergalactic mother, here to break down the big agenda and the game behind the game. Tolik, my man. Welcome to the higher side. Hey, Greg. Thanks for that intro. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I know it's a mouthful, and I know there's a lot there, but very well done, and I'm happy to answer any questions you've got and explore any topics that you might have on the table and we can chew them up one side and down another. <laughs> there's a lot going on right now, as you know, and as you alluded to, there's a lot more to our own history on this planet that most people don't even realize. Yes, indeed. And I did want to give the listeners as much background there as I could, because I think this is going to be pretty new for a lot of people. 
I know when you reached out to me, I was a little taken aback by such an epic description like the one I just gave. And just a few weeks ago, I myself was ignorant of the Andromeda Council for the most part, which you describe as essentially a deep space United Nations. And I know there's a lot of information to relay, but I thought the best place to start would be to get a bit more context for how you receive these messages. Because personally, I'm pretty open to the concept of conscious information downloads or insight from non-human intelligences. I could even understand the idea of interstellar bureaucracies that maybe put out some feelers for emerging civilizations, but essentially leave us alone, as we do with some indigenous tribes that we still have on the planet. Maybe they try to inspire us with geometrically encoded crop circles now and again. So I'm open to the overall idea, but I really struggle with individual cases because we've been burned so many times in the alternative community. But Tolik, maybe you can help us wrap our heads around this. How do you get the information that you do have? It's a multifaceted answer. And what I'd like to do, if I may, is provide a couple of instances that provide listeners with pieces of substance from my own life sure. that will give them an overall picture of why I'm doing what I'm doing these days and have done for the past seven years and what it's all about and what it's been about in terms of a ride for me. And the best way I can do that is to tell this very story. And there are a couple of others, but this one is quite a story hmm. to tell a couple of others that inform people of my own journey on this planet, my own life, the normalcy of my life and the extraordinary things that have happened to me. So this may be anecdotal, but I've learned from other people that I've met that have similar gifts and skills and especially a lot of women that have been through this process at some moment in their life, their earth life, whether they're 24, 32, 47. In my case, I was a year and a half old. Apparently, and I'm saying apparently because I don't remember what happened in a year and a half, but my mom tells me the story many, many times that when she brought me home from the hospital, and just for the record, I was adopted, all four of us were in our family. I was a very sickly child. She never said sick. She said, just sickly. She said, you know, you were skinny, you needed food, you needed love, you needed attention. And she was very proud of providing me and us with a great life. But apparently at the age of a year and a half, I had what people traditionally call a near-death experience. And the soul fractal that animated this body at that time wasn't, if you will, strong enough or robust enough to overcome this body's generalized weakness, probably the best way to say it. And so another soul who was more robust and could handle the challenges of this earth life stepped in. Hmm. So I would be called what a lot of people call a walk-in. Now, typically when I've heard about these stories, it's usually later in life. 24, 32, 47, people usually have some kind of major life circumstance. Women that die on the birth table in a hospital when they're birthing children and they come back and they're different. Women that have been in accidents. I've met a number of women that have spoken at my conferences. And after like just a few moments, when you get four or five of them together in a room and or in a conversation like this and they're talking, I've learned that 
many of them have had near-death experiences. So I'm bringing this up because it seems to be a consistent theme with people whose normally latent gifts and skills aren't activated. Oh, sure. Unless they have a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Adana was going to join us today. I mentioned the reason why she's not able to, but she too had what could be termed a near-death experience where I think she was like seven or eight years old. And a more robust soul fractal took over her body. Mm. So that's a topic that seems to be consistent with people who have activated gifts and skills. The next major story that's worth telling is that in the late summer of 93, about a year and a half after I had left New England and moved to Tucson, Arizona, I was living 14 miles north of Tucson up against the Catalina Mountains in an area which typically has a lot of UFO and or light sightings in the skies, doing the typical UFO falling leaf dance and other kind of erratic movements. And it was about 20 minutes of four in the morning and I was deep in sleep in the condo that I was living in up against the Catalinas, very, very quiet, quiet place. And very much like you and I are talking now, I received this phone call, except this phone call was mind-to-mind communication. And I recognized this guy's voice as an example. You go to school and you got buddies from college that some you don't stay in touch with and others, whether it's two weeks, two months, or 12 years, you pick up the phone, you recognize their voice right away, right? (laughs) So I'm deep in sleep. I basically get this phone call in my head. And he says, hey, I'm like, you woke me up. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I know, but I need you to get dressed. You need to head down I-10, go to the San Javier Mission exit. And I need you to meet me there and we're going to take a trip. I'm like, at 20 or 4 in the morning? He goes, yeah, it's important. This is the time that we need to do this. All right, fine. Get up, go to the bathroom, get dressed, hop in my vehicle, drive down I-10, I take the exit at San Javier Mission, and right at that spot, there's a right that goes into the desert. It's scrubland down there. I think the elevation is like 2,300 feet, maybe 2,400 at most. And so I traveled about a third of a mile into the desert, went down through this little bit of a wash, came up the other side, and there sitting in front of me, about... 150 feet away is a round silver craft, looks to be 35 to 40 feet in diameter. I get my eyes bug wide open. I hop (laughs) out, slam the door shut. I had traded my East Coast car and I was driving a beat up 84 Ford Bronco four wheel drive kind of thing. So it could handle the desert train. It wasn't a problem, but it was a bit of a tank. I hop out. I see the craft. He's standing outside the craft. This guy's like seven foot four. He's got long, dark, brown, almost black hair, pulled back and in a ponytail in the back of his head. So he waves at me. Now, keep in mind, I'm probably 32 or 33 at this time. Hmm. And I feel like an excited little kid. So I'm waving at him and I'm going, hey, it's great to see you again. You know, what the hell are you doing here? Great to see you again. He's waving at me like, come on, come on, hurry up, come on. There's no time to lose here. So I get over to him. I walk over. He gives me a hug. He puts his hand, his arm around my shoulder. I'm only about 5'10", so at 7'4", he's got a considerable reach on me. And he's like, listen, 
you need to take this little, and he shows me this turquoise, bluish, greenish caplet. Looks like a gel cap for people that have taken NyQuil. He goes, I need you to take this gel cap because we're going to travel through time and we can't travel through time with you having an organic human body. It's not possible. You'd burn up. So we've got to raise your vibratory rate fast enough so that we don't destroy your human body. Huh. Okay, fine by me. So pop the caplet. We go aboard his craft. I get inside and the thing looks to be 125 to 150 feet diameter, mm -hmm. <laughs> not 35 or 40. I remember the sensation of leaving the surface of Earth and going into deep space. So the sensation of traveling for like three or four minutes. I don't remember the jump we did. You know, he keyed in some figures into his control console and we jumped from at that time contemporary August of 93 to like the 1840s, hmm. Western Kentucky, Virginia, that area into like midday, 3.30 and 4 in the afternoon kind of thing. Sunny, beautiful day. We are over the homestead home of a family of four. They've got a field full of crops, a small vegetable garden, a barn with some hay in it and some little animals, you know, some sheep goats and some chickens and there's a dad who's 32 to 34 years old, a mom who's like probably 24 to 26, a young boy who's nine or 10 and a little girl who's like three or four years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, cute little thing. I made that trip with him three times over the course of about 10 days, three separate trips. And on the third trip, to make a long story short, the barn that housed some of the animals and the hay caught fire and burned down. I was there. We were watching it burn. And the youngest child, the daughter, three or four years old, was inside and she was playing with the animals. Maybe she had taken a nap. I don't know exactly, but she died of smoke inhalation. And I looked at him and said, Geez, you know, out of all of the possible experiences you could have shown me, why would you show me this experience? Keep in mind, this was my first formal contact as an adult that I was having. Mm. And he said, well, there are a few reasons. One is that genetically, biologically, family lineage, you're related to these people. He said, second of all, you as an earth human, we've known you, you're part of our people. You've been coming to this planet for many years. We've been talking for a long time. We know each other really well. We know how you act. We know how you react. But there's a time coming in the near future of your world where there are going to be a lot of changes and it's going to shake the core of the very diverse human race that you have on this planet. And by us observing you, observing this process, we can better understand the depth of the human race and how it experiences emotions. 
that was 20 plus years ago for me. And I still remember that event to this day. It's interesting. I've always felt, even before having consciously remembered that event, I've always felt that probably one of the worst tragedies that could ever befall a family was to have a parent lose his child. Mm -hmm. And now I know why. It's because I observed this event. Wow. I still feel that way. And there are other tangential stories off of that one, but it still has a real impact on me emotionally whenever I think of that event. Sure. Well, those two stories definitely give us some context into your unique situation for sure. And then in the years since then, has it been just, I guess, mind-to-mind -mind communication? I've heard you talk about it before in the sense that it's not channeling because channeling is kind of like opening yourself up to let an entity speak through you. Of course, we've heard of information coming through channelers, but this is a little bit different. You mentioned the walk-in aspect. Right. I guess let us get a better feel for how this communication happens in the more recent years. Sure. So to wrap up that story and to adjunct pieces to it, the third reason he said is that we, who you know, we don't live organically like you do. You have a fractal of your soul that animates your human body. We have a fractal of our total souls, and we're primarily crystalline-based. We don't experience what you call organic life and death. We're aware of our lives. We've been around for a long time, and we don't die. When we want to transition, say, from upper 4D to 5D, we simply make that choice to do it. It's simply a decision and a transition. When we get through with 5D life and we want to experience different aspects of higher dimensional life, we make that decision and transition from 5D to 6D. And because we don't experience death, it's important for us to better understand you as humans and the depth of the range of your emotion when you do observe or experience death yourselves. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I was contacted by him again physically September 10th, 2010, essentially six to seven months before the Andromeda Council website went live. And that experience and the conversation we had then and subsequent conversations we've had since then triggered the memory of what happened in 1993 and a whole bunch of other memories that I have had in terms of contact with him and his people as contact people for the council. Now to answer your question, contact with me between them happens a variety of different ways. I will get images and I've had images consistently since that period of time whereby they're trying to show me something and tell me something. So intellectually, I will ask some questions. Information also comes through me from time to time when I'm doing the work that I do and I write. I remember at least three or four times out of many that I've written something and at the end I say something like, and there it is in its completeness or, and so it shall be. I'm like, I don't speak like that. <laughs> so those occurrences happen. I've not only gotten some little, like, little clips, you know, like photos. I've had 
complete memory experiences where I've left planet Earth, either just my soul fractal leaving the body. You know, some people would call that an out-of-body experience. And so the piece of this soul that animates this body will go to the Andromeda Council biosphere and other biospheres for a variety of meetings that I've attended over the course of many years. And there's also been occasions when, hey, we're going to come get you. They pick me up physically and I go up there and I do some work up there as well. The other way that I've been able to discern and kind of get the depth of the detail that I've been able to provide is because Adana, who I've told you about, she's been a wide open conscious telepath to people in the other dimensions since she was, I think, like 12 years old. Hmm. Completely wide open to the point where she doesn't have to go into any special sort of quiet state. She doesn't have to do anything extraordinary. Me, whenever I need to do it, I'll go lay down, close the door to my room, get into some kind of really, really quiet state, and I'll communicate with them that way. But with her, it's like two, three in the afternoon, she'll just go, hey, I've got some questions. She'll ask some questions. They'll give her information. That's how she's been able to do the star ancestry work. They'll download images of galaxies and star systems and constellations, specific information about specific people. So whenever I needed some really, really specific detail, I've asked her. Now, why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because not on this planet, but on the planet Dakote, which is part of the Tegeta star system. And these are names I'm not creating. They exist. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with what people talk about. Oh, the Pleiades, the Pleiades, the Pleiadians. Well, the Pleiades is a constellation that we give a name to. It's an open star cluster. There are seven to nine major star systems within the Pleiades. One of those star systems is called Tegeta. The Tegeta star system happens to have four planets, two largest being Vela, Pyra. The third is Dakote. And the fourth is a planet about the size of Earth called Era. And Era is the same planet as where Semyasi and Ptah from the Billy Meyer Pleiades Plajaran case comes from. Hmm. So why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because on the planet Dakote, Adana and I are brother and sister from the same family. Right. So that's why we have this close connection. And that's why we've both been doing work with different people on the council for a number of years. So it's been a pretty amazing ride. <laughs> yeah, man. Sounds like it. Yeah. And so there's that contact in September of 2010, which triggered my memory of my travel back in time experiences, 1993, and a whole bunch of other memories of things that I went through. And it also triggered the creation of the Andromeda Council website the last week of April of 2011. Mm. And there's been, of course, a lot of information and work since then. Right. Indeed. And that's what I was going to ask say next is, uh, you know, obviously those are some interesting stories and that's some really fascinating mechanisms for interdimensional insight. And let's get into that information itself, because to, I guess to bring us up to speed on the goings on behind the curtain, I think many listeners are hip to the notion of reptilian overlords that for most of human history, we've been ruled over by some type of predatory entities in the shadows 
largely underground. And we've heard about white hats or groups trying to fight these overlords behind the scenes. And this is what I wanted to get into where this fight is now. It seems the tide has been turning because to quote your website, there were only a total of 15 Draco and Hydra reptilian undersea operating bases, which functioned as the major operational bases and hubs for the power structure of the reptilian run and operated cabal and Illuminati on this planet. Correct. 15 bases total, no more. And now all of those undersea bases are either destroyed, cleaned up, shut down, or filled in. No matter what you are reading from other people anywhere else today, there are no more functioning Operation Reptilian Undersea bases on the planet. None. That's correct. So, I mean, that's obviously a pretty black and white statement. Can you give us some more context for this reptilian control maybe in the past or bring us up to speed on what seems to be this waning power since 2012, shortly after these downloads started to happen and this website came online? Sure. And by the way, I'd like to give you and the people listening some context. Because of my move from a place called New England, which is pretty traditional and moves pretty slowly in terms of change, I moved to the desert southwest to Tucson, probably one of the most active places for UFO sightings, the whole topic and subject matter of UFOs and ETs and life in outer space and spirituality and all of that information that has context. This was all brand new for me when I moved to Tucson and I met people like Bob Dean and Wendell Stevens, Drunvula Melchizedek, and the list goes on and on and on. In, I think it was the spring of 94, David Icke, or Ike, depending on your pronunciation, showed up and spoke. And there are a bunch of us, me and some of my friends, including Bob Dean and others, that listened to David Icke speak. And this has relevance to your question. A buddy of mine who I was sitting next to, and we had become great friends by the name of Roger Shear, I said, Roger, we just finished listening to this guy, and there's a lot of information here, the whole trilateral commission, Bilderbergers, et cetera, et cetera, and I get it all, but Earth humans being not only controlled and manipulated, but being consumed by reptilians? Come on. Hmm. He's like, yep. He said, I've tracked this guy for years. He knows what he's talking about. That was 1994. So... I'm then activated, or if you will, reactivated in 2010, and I start learning about the reality of tens of thousands of reptilians on this planet. The ones that believe that they own this planet are the Draco reptilians. They're working in concert with, if you will, reptilians from the Hydra constellation, the Sirius B constellation, the Orion star system, they believe that they own and have dominion over this planet and that we're simply dumb subjects, much like we believe cows are to people, and that we're here for them as a resource and to be consumed both physically and energetically. And there was a decision made by the council and a lot of other races that are concerned about the people of Earth, that they would need to intercede and get rid of this controlling, manipulative, abusive, off-world threat, domination by the reptilians, because 
there would be some point in the future where if they didn't take care of this problem now, at some point, like 360 some odd years in the future, they would try to do to this galaxy what they've done to other galaxies, which is to essentially transform, if you will, the vibratory rate of a human oxygen breathing species into a reptilian vibrational frequency and reptilian DNA pattern, the whole galaxy. Damn. And so it was decided by the council that this needed to be the time in combination with this planet's own evolutionary development cycle that they needed to step in and get rid of this this planet-wide menace. And they've been here for a long, long time. And your statement is correct. All of the Draco and Hydra cooperating reptilian undersea bases have been destroyed. The two underground bases of note that were also destroyed, one was August, I believe, 23rd or 24th of 2011. That's the one that was a base with a lattice network of communication and transport tunnels from Washington, D.C. to the mountains of Virginia. And if you remember August in 2011, there was hmm, an earthquake <laughs> in Washington, D.C. The earthquake was the repercussions of the destruction of that base in the hills of Virginia, west of Washington, D.C. Wow. Though that was done by the people of the Procyon star system planet Cana, the people of the Sirius A star system are the ones that destroyed the underground base in Colorado. So all reptilian bases destroyed, a number of reptilian, what we would consider to be the equivalent of generals and colonels were captured. So they would be officers. A number of high-ranking reptilian cabal officials I think about 50 of those were captured and about 100 Illuminati officials serving the Illuminati families, which serve the reptilians. They were captured. They were all sent through a military tribunal. And military tribunal, of course, was war crimes against humanity. And they were given three choices, either submit to positive mind reprogramming so that they would never threaten, co-opt, coerce, manipulate, or consume Earth humans again, or any other humans for that matter. That was one option they were given. Another option was the relocation of them to a reptilian-designated world at the far, far edge of this known universe. And the third option was they could choose to self-terminate. It's my understanding the top generals they were arrogant enough. They were like, you know, we will not submit. We choose self-termination kind of thing. So they chose to self-terminate. But tens of thousands of reptilian soldiers, administrators, engineers, technical people were all relocated off this planet to a designated part of the universe for these reptilians. So what's been going on since that last base was destroyed? And actually, the last undersea base was literally on the Atlantic shelf, just due east of Washington, D.C. Once that base was destroyed, I believe in mid-2012, it was the last formal functioning undersea 
reptilian operated base. Now, are there other undersea and underground bases? Yes. Are they, are they reptilian operated and run? No. Are there still some reptilians on this planet? Yes. There are approximately, give or take 5%, about 120 reptilian. There are about 68 to 70 pure reptilians that are still here, high level official and or military that are deep underground. People would never, ever see them. There are another 50 plus that if you didn't know better, you'd thought that they were human. They are a mix of cosmic human and reptilian bloodlines. So they are in fact hybrids and they hold the highest positions of power on this planet. Corporate, governmental, religious, healthcare, pharmaceutical, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And media, of course, media, mm -hmm. news, entertainment. Those are the ones that give the orders that are passed down by the pure reptilians. They give the orders to the Illuminati families to basically serve the desires and the need for consumption of manipulated, abused, terrorized humans. So I'm going to go from one end of the scale to the next so people sort of can wrap their heads around this idea. The whole concept of pedophilia and human, predominantly children and young women, human trafficking across the planet, that whole concept is about the capture, abuse, sexualization, and then terrorizing these humans so that the energy of that terror can be consumed by these naturally vibrating low-level fourth-dimension reptilians. They consume the energy of terror in its pure form. And for them, it's like a psychotic drug, and it gives them this huge monster high. And the more they get, the more they want. So they literally consume the energy of abuse and terror and confusion and on and on any of those emotional states and the feelings that go with those emotional states are consumed by them b whenever they take organic form like we're dense organic we have flesh and blood and bones whenever they take that form their original organic form becomes considerably heightened and they have a very deep drive and appetite for consuming terrorized people, preferably younger. It's difficult to talk about because of the sick nature of what it is. Mm -hmm. So to put it all in context, this whole subject matter of human trafficking and pedophilia, certainly it is about the humans who have served the Illuminati, who serve the reptilians, but it's all about creating a two-level process of food for the reptilians, both from an energy perspective and from an organic flesh perspective that satisfies their feeding desires. When you strip away all of the paranormal talk around it, that's what it's about, serving masters who want to consume.
again, it's difficult to talk about, but I'd rather speak about it plainly than have people wonder and go like way off the reservation in terms of their concepts of what it might be or might not be. Oh, yeah, sure. We can take it. It's a difficult subject matter, but like I said, I'd rather speak plainly about it so that people can go, oh, okay, now this makes sense. It's sick, but it makes sense. <laughs> right. So I hope that answers your question. Sure. And we do have some pretty weird things going on. Of course, the pedophilia child trafficking stuff has been bubbling up to the surface much more in the last couple of years. And the Pentagon did come out and disclose at least something on UFOs. We had this weird Tom DeLonge rollout attempt. An Inside Skunk Works podcast just launched. Trump is president. I mean, I'm willing to say we've seen a shift in direction lately. <laughs> and you've mentioned that the reptilians are in this sort of desperation mode. And a big reason for the hybridization program we've heard about is they can sort of maybe bait and switch us where they reveal themselves as, you know, looking like the good guys. Right. And in terms of Trump, I've heard you say that all presidents are selected, not elected. And I completely agree there. But you say Trump is part of dismantling the old guard, that his personality maybe acts as a cover for the real changes going on, maybe that he's a walk-in or a braided soul himself. Yes. That his family maybe is connected to the Alliance of Good Guys. Maybe QAnon is part of this group as well. It's a lot, but these are just a few of the places that I would say maybe we do see indications of a change, right? Yeah, and all of that you just cited, based on what I've learned from my contacts on the council is consistent with what they've told me over years. Now, interestingly enough, like anybody else, I'm just a guy. I'm an earth human. Now, I may be having some extraordinary experiences and I may have the benefit of knowing where I came from, but I'm still a guy who's having to some degree a normal life. And so there are things that I do in my normal life. Now, for me, as a kid, I couldn't play baseball. I didn't make it on what was called little league or farm team. But whenever I picked up a racket, squash, paddle ball, ping pong, tennis, loved it, was good at it. So why is this relevant? Well, it's relevant because in the mid nineties, I was playing tennis with a bunch of guys, doubles in Tucson. So I'm in my mid thirties by then. I'm playing tennis with guys that are in their late fifties. Most of them are in their sixties and they're pretty well retired. One guy who I believe has probably passed away now, otherwise he'd be in his 90s, was a gentleman who was from Massachusetts. And during the Vietnam War era, he's with the State Department. And his responsibilities had to do with Vietnam. And so during this tennis break, he said to me using his Massachusetts accent, he said, do you realize that every president Ever since they murdered JFK, every president since then has been appointed. And of course, they slotted LBJ right in after JFK was killed. He was all lined up, ready to go. That was, of course, an assassination by a lot of parties who wanted him dead. And so without going into that whole conspiracy, every single president since JFK has been an appointee, which means that our national elections are a fraud. That topic in itself, when the American public learns it, that's going to be a pretty wild situation. So why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because here's a man who would definitely be in the know who was with the State Department 
who had a very, very high cosmic clearance, who knew that presidents were appointed. And here we are. And they told me in late 2014, when I asked, I asked about the upcoming election, and they said, this man called Barack Obama will be the last president of his type, which means he's a politician. And the next president will be like nothing you've ever had before because he won't be a politician. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what they said. And I spoke about that publicly before the quote unquote election of Donald Trump. I bring these things up because they're allegorical, but they're still pieces of corroboration of information of what we see happening today and what I learned years ago and explanations for what I had years ago that what we're seeing unfold today. It's pretty daunting. (laughs) Sure. It's daunting to sit where I sit and watch some of the things that I heard about three and four and five years ago and two years ago to actually watch them unfold today. Right. So what does the council want you to get out to people right now about the subtext of what's going on? Maybe I don't I know timelines aren't a big thing for you, but maybe the next decade or our lifetimes or however, whatever scale you typically work with, what is the you know important or relevant information about geopolitics or just the subtext of what's going on that you think is most crucial for people to be aware of? I think it's important that people grasp and understand the seriousness of, and not from a fear-based perspective, but simply from an information-based perspective. We've been controlled and manipulated by a race that has no interest or care for us other than that we're a resource, reptilians, and that the reptilians have been a real part of our lives, A. So they're going away there will likely be some kind of false flag event, which they're presented sort of like as an ET savior race. And of course, they're going to look like the beneficent, benevolent, tall, blonde humans. That's likely going to happen. The remaining pure reptilians will come out of underground, probably in the last gasp attempt to overtly acquire power. But sometime in the very near future, and when this starts to happen, it'll all start to happen pretty quick that ultimately this is going to become our planet. And with all of the changes that are coming on this planet, both socially, geopolitically, as well as physical earth changes, we're going to become a new race of people. You know, we've got a lot of diversity on this planet because of the colonization that happened from different races from across the stars on this planet over the course of a number of years. So you have different literal human races from different star systems, which have different sets of mores and ethos and values and expectations as to how life should be lived. That's one of the reasons why we have such a difficult time getting along with each other on this world. Based on some conversations that I've had with Wendell Stevens, Bob Dean, and others, this world is highly unusual in that there's such a great diversity, not only of insects and fish and plants and animals, but of humans. 
and that it's across the cosmos of worlds of this type, it's highly unusual to have more than one or two races of related humans on a single planet. That's why we're being watched so closely. That's why we're sort of the big show in this corner of the physical universe, because we're such an outlier in terms of what normal life is like. I expect that this planet ultimately will become peaceful, that we'll be invited to a greater brotherhood of planets that travel throughout the cosmos. I've been told repeatedly that some number of people on this planet will go along for the ride and willingly take part in this process and choose the evolutionary growth of this planet becoming a higher dimensional one. I don't exactly know when that moment's going to happen in terms of time and dates, but I can say that what they've told me consistently is that with the peak of human awareness and consciousness, with the peak of knowledge of what we today call spirituality, at the peak of human development coinciding with the peak of Earth changes on this world, that's when we will evolve into becoming a much more conscious, higher vibratory human. Hmm. I know there's a lot there, but that's pretty much the process. Every single year I ask that question at least once. Is this process still consistent with the evolutionary pattern of this planet and the people on this world? And the answer that I keep getting is yes. The process is still consistent. You mentioned timelines. And so while there are smaller, less major decisions that can shift timelines a little far out to the left and or a little far right, ultimately what's going on is the various timelines are collapsing. And the primary or the predominant timeline this planet has for its own evolution is in fact happening. Hmm. And certainly with the disruption of timelines we've had by interfering reptilians and other races, timelines are also collapsing because there's less interference. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. So what is happening is with less interference, we're starting to fall back into the predominant timeline of evolution for the planet and for the people on the planet. As an example, the gentleman who's the commander responsible for not only the primary biosphere, but for the other 11 biospheres that are in and around the solar system, he's told me that the development of this planet has been changed and the development of the knowledge base of the people of this planet has changed because of negotiations that happened back in the mid 40s to early 50s between Eisenhower and that administration for technology that was shared by the reptilians and others such that today in this world in the time date system that we use and it's 2018 Realistically, if left alone, we should only be at about 
what we had in 1978 or maybe 79 technologically. We shouldn't have the smartphones and the microwave computers and the touchpads that we have today. Because if left alone to our own technological development, we should only be at around 1978 right now. Hmm. When you think about the difference between where we were at 78 and where we are today, the difference is off the charts. Indeed. And with the distraction of technological development, that distraction has slowed people's, if you will, interest in becoming more heart-centered, in becoming more intuitive, in becoming more interested in, well, some people say I have a soul. What is that about? Why am I here on this planet? Do I have a mission? If I have a mission, why am I here? All those questions about self-development, a lot of those questions start to take a side seat when you've got things like smartphones and the kids are all looking down at their smartphones instead of interacting with each other or going out in nature and sitting in the forest or sitting on the edge of a cliff and contemplating why they're here on the planet or walking a beach or anywhere else. Hmm. It's those technological distractions that have slowed us from evolving both emotionally and spiritually as a developed society. Hmm. Wow, man. <laughs> I think that all makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot there, but I think when people listen to all this, they may go, ah, okay, those pieces kind of fit together yeah. as a puzzle, which might explain what's going on. Absolutely. And there's just so much information and context to get out there just for people to understand the information that you're getting, that you're relaying. And it's hard to believe we're halfway through already, but I got to say something for the skeptical listeners out there, because I know Go. this is a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't doubt that you are receiving some mind-to-mind -mind downloads. Let's just assume that's true. But how can you truly trust the source? We know the CIA has voice to skull technology. We know the deep state loves to inject disinformation in the alternative community. We know entities can be mischievous. And I've been hearing previous guests say that the white hats are fighting the good fight for us behind the scenes for a long time, but here we are. You know, what would you say to ease the minds of people who might have concerns over the true source of these information downloads or the idea that help is actually coming? You know what? That's a really good, centered, rational question. I try. This may be anecdotal, but it's my story. I'm sharing information and knowledge I've learned, but my story is still my story. And I acknowledge that. So all I can do is rely on what I've felt and experienced during all the years that I've had contact with these people, both in terms of what I sense, what I feel, what I've experienced physically in this body what I've experienced when the fractal that animates my body, the fractal of my soul that animates this body that goes up in the biospheres and has all these meetings, is the following. At no moment in time have I ever felt threatened, ever. It's always been an exchange of warmth, cordiality, of sharing, of we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're part of us. We're glad that you are willingly partaking, willingly engaging in all of this work that you're doing. 
You can stop at any moment in time. Your life is yours to choose and make decisions that you feel are best for you. But we're glad you're here and we're glad you're engaged. Does information change? Does it evolve? Yes, it changes and evolves in ways that are evidenced by how I evolve as a person. And I can only get answers when I ask questions on the next level up and the next level up and the higher level after that. I'm still learning today. You know, I guess I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know everything. I certainly don't. I'm just one man living his life on this planet. And so I can always learn more. But that's the best answer that I can give is that every single experience that I've had, even though some of them, a couple of them have been challenging for me emotionally, like that first trip in 1993 that I recall that happened three times. That was challenging emotionally to go through that experience. And there've been a couple of others, but I've never had the feeling where I've felt deceived. I've never felt lied to. And moreover, I'm not part of any military program. I was in high school during a time frame when the Vietnam War ended. There were three classes, the class before me, my graduation class, and the class after. We didn't have to register for the draft. There were no numbers issued. We didn't have to go to the post office to sign up for anything, nothing. So I've never had any military experience. I've never been co-opted by any military group. I've never had any military training or intelligence training, nothing. So I make that statement because my experiences are what they are and what they've been. And I can only say that I've always been comfortable and enjoined and welcomed and free to come and go as I please with all of my experiences. I don't know if that helps at all, but that's been my experience and that's my best answer. Yeah. I mean, I think that works. You are just the messenger so people can judge accordingly. I don't want to have you spend too much time defending yourself because then we miss out on all the exciting information that could be relayed. But of course, you got to at least throw that out there because people are going to wonder why I didn't otherwise. So, And it's okay. I'm happy to answer it. I remember the first time I was asked, I was like, hey, you're questioning my integrity. You know, <laughs> That was my first response. And the gentleman was kind enough to say, no, I'm not doing that. What he said was, for the people who are listening who never heard of you before and who have never heard this information you're sharing, they want to understand how and why your story can be true. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. As soon as I wrapped my head around the fact that they wanted to have a clear knowledge of why my information might be accurate. It's a valid question. Yeah, got to be asked. So I'm not sure if the Andromeda Council has the ability to tap into anyone's consciousness, but here I am, host of a fairly prominent podcast, tens of thousands of listeners that trust me, at least, and that I don't openly lie to them. Can you urge the council to communicate with me just enough to be able to wake up in a few weeks and say, hey, guys, that is very real stuff. We need to stay tuned into this. Hmm. Okay. I will communicate your request to the commander that's responsible for the Andromeda Council Biosphere and others. I'll communicate your request to Ambassador Tanka, who's the guy that's responsible from the council to Earth. 
I'll communicate it to Diplomat Mako, who's responsible for the United States, Canada, and Mexico, basically North America. Wow, that would be amazing. The other thing you can do is you can simply in your own quiet time and space, ask yourself. You yourself can ask them through telepathic communication. Just think of those names. You can think Azar, Tonka, and others. You know, just direct your thoughts to the people of the Andromeda Council and ask them if they can enlighten you with any information that might help you. That's A. B is pretty typically when individuals get to a place of emotional maturity and spiritual knowledge and awareness. The people who are your people, Greg, from your star system and planet, where that fractal of your soul was originated, where you come from, where they originally come from, when you get to the place, or anyone else for that matter, I'm not singling out you, when you get to the place when you've reached that place of knowledge and maturity, they will reach out and contact you. That's how it typically happens, that they reach out and contact you, not the other way around. Cool. Right on. Well, I appreciate you putting in a word for me. That's very exciting. And I'll I'd be happy to do that. Wait for that mental phone to ring in the meantime. But Man, this has just been super fascinating. It's very rare to speak to anyone with a connection to an intergalactic and interdimensional council of planetary civilization. So big thanks for being here and reaching out to me to make me aware of such things. Before we go, please inform the people where they can go to get more detailed information on this work that you're putting out. They can go to the Andromeda Council website. Andromeda, spelled just like the galaxy. A N. D-R-O-M, is Mary, E-D-A, Council. In this case, Council is C-O-U-N-C-I-L.com. And they can also go to my aligned website, which is transformationalshiftevents.com and learn about the different things that I'm doing through the course of the year. Very cool. Yeah, and I'd like to, if you don't mind, I have something that I'd like to share with people. Sure that I brought back from Planet Dakota. I remember very vividly being on a cliff abutment, sort of like a point. And I was standing overlooking the ocean on Dakota. To my left was Ambassador Tonka. To my right was Vice Chairwoman Tanya, the council. And we were there sort of in sacred ceremony. And I came back popped into my body, and essentially, other than some punctuation, what I'm about to speak flowed out of my fingers. Basically, I popped back into my body, turned the light on, hopped out of bed, ran over across my room, got a pen and a piece of paper, and started writing. I wrote like a madman so I wouldn't forget any of this. Mm -hmm. And I've given it a name and released it in the form of a video. People can see it if they'd like to. It's called Wakan Wachekie, A Sacred Prayer. And it'll take me about two minutes at most to read all this. Cool. And it goes this way. May the Creator bless you all the days of your life. May your spirit be awake and aware. May it soar with gladness. May your mind be sharp and your body good and whole. 
May you have internal strength, gain knowledge and wisdom to guide your way. May you walk tall in truth, honor and respect others. May your journey on this world be long and prosperous. May you always touch another's soul with kindness. May you give to yourself and others freely with joy and gladness. May you keep sacred all the Creator has made. Mother Earth, Ina Maka Unchimaka, the plants, animals, the people, the water, wind, and sky. May you experience great love. May you be blessed with family and true friends. May you always evolve, transform, and grow. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible, compelling piece. I don't talk this way in my normal life. This is what flowed out of my fingers with that pen in my hand that morning as I came back from that sacred ceremony on planet. It's one of those things in my life that has great value. I've always known to touch other people's hearts, so I just thought I'd share it as sort of a sign-off. Sure, absolutely. I've heard many guests talk about the real measurable power of intention and of blessings and things of that like. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I think the whole conversation has been fascinating. It's not an easy role that you're playing. So I appreciate you putting yourself out there. And my mind is certainly blown. I really hope we do see some of the radical changes that we talked about today come to pass and some positive forces emerge victorious. Thanks again for filling us in on the game behind the game and take care out there. All right, will do. Thanks so much, Greg. I appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. You got it. Me too. Oh, people, people, people. How about that? Tolek of the Andromeda Council in the house, dropping knowledge and taking names. I just knew the day that I woke up with an email from Tolek describing his work and his unique position. I thought, uh, yeah, I want to do this show. How could I not? And I do find it fascinating because I think this sort of mind-to-mind -mind communication is very much possible, but as I said in the beginning, I sort of struggle when we analyze specific cases of it. Tolek does speak very fluidly. He knows what he knows. He's not afraid to say, eh, they haven't said much about that when I asked about something such as Antarctica. It is frustrating, of course, to have very little to go on in terms of vetting or physical proof of this contact. But if it's largely mind-to-mind, -mind, all he can really do is talk about the messages that are coming through. And isn't it interesting, even if you maybe don't think about it at face value, that someone or something is seeding this information for some reason, and that intrigues me regardless of how you look at it. Is it possible there's a council out there that generally leaves us alone unless we inquire deeper? Perhaps in the exact same way we handle indigenous tribes on this planet that are still cut off from mainstream society. We leave them alone. If they were to venture into the city and say, hey, what's going on over here? We'd probably be okay with that, but they just don't do it. They stick to themselves, probably for good reason. But is it that unlikely? Is it that impossible to scale that up to the intergalactic, interdimensional level and think that something could be going on like that. As a fan of Jordan Peterson, I do kind of think dominance hierarchies are baked into reality. They're just kind of the way things tend to form. 
I wish we could get some noble philosopher kings at the top of the pyramid instead of the least among us, but it is what it is. And when he uses the term walk-in, man, that's provocative. That's a term that seems synonymous with braided soul, as he mentioned, as far as I can tell. This concept that a consciousness has perhaps fused or globbed onto the human man's consciousness and maybe inspires those answers to questions of a stranger nature. I like that this isn't a case of channeling, per se. It makes it more interesting to me. It's been a while since we had someone talk about reptilians, and I think that that's got to rear its head every once in a while, maybe once a quarter for THC, right? Gotta say, I've always been a bit skeptical when I hear about secret good guy groups battling it out behind the scenes for our benefit, but I guess we can't completely discount and close the door on that possibility entirely, can we? It's just something to note. Also, when Tolik talks about Trump as an element of this team, I'm not sure about that either. But I do think he makes a fairly strong case, and if I had to find a way to rationalize Trump the man, who I think is a real greedy, self-centered asshole, join the club, right? But I think of him sort of like George W. Bush. Not that bright, not a strong leader, not inspirational, but he's in the goddamn family, so he gets to play a role. And it's the dumb ones that they put out as public-facing. And when this QAnon type of Trump is working for the good guys perspective is offered up, I think about two things. The Charles Delshaw drawings of the Sonora Aero Club ships that say Trump across the top, also labeled number 45 in the series, and he is the 45th president. And then the very real fact that his uncle was an MIT deep state scientist who was in charge of assessing Tesla's confiscated work, papers, and notes, and saying that there's nothing really significant in them. In both cases, we have a certain German nationalist flavor to them, and that sort of makes me feel like there is some close-knit brotherhood here. I just don't know if it's all that different of a group when Trump's uncle basically describes Hanover Bush as a mentor. It's tough to say. It's very tangled up. But what if you get past the porn stars and the pussy grabbing and you think about some higher beings who know the string pullers behind him, who also know his personality can act as cover for some of the key changes behind the scenes, and I come away thinking, eh, maybe it's possible. I seem to constantly be dealing with elements of the audience lashing out at me for holding up certain models to the light and looking at them and trying to extract some value from them, even if they're different from the ones we usually look at. An exploration is not an endorsement. Seeing something as a possibility doesn't mean you consider it the most likely one. And we have to be able to hold multiple models in our head at one time. I mean, that really is what we're doing here. And for me, I guess I just like to sit back and observe. Because the game is pretty much always about one big team trying to look like various opposing forces, right? You can't discount that that happens constantly. So let's not get too obsessed with any one interpretation or too obsessed with the daily back and forth. Just let it unfold and retrospectively look at which model was the most accurate at describing where we went, where we're going. I will say that I've never really seen all elements of the machine rally against a person this hard, though, and I think that means something. Not only him, but anyone who says a single positive thing about him. Like Kanye, for example. He tried to get deep on some stuff, and he said slavery was a choice, and everyone jumped on him. But honestly, as raw as that is, isn't everything a choice? Every second of every moment, you are making choices. 
Some people have a give me liberty or give me death attitude, and some of us do what we're told. It's as true today as it ever was, and the stories, the tales of those willing to spit in the face of power, those tales in the slavery days will never be told. It's such a harsh thing to say, and I have so much empathy for people who are in tough situations and are at the whim of the machine, but there's a lot of personal power in accepting that everything you do is your choice, and those brave acts of defiance at the risk of your own safety are the things that heroes and legends are made of. That's powerful, and it's a shame that those are not the stories on the evening news. Those are not the stories in most of the history books, but you gotta keep speaking truth to power makes me think a little bit about last week's episode about Crowley. A lot of people jumped down my throat about that for even considering that the Crowley hate might be a little overblown or misguided. Some people have heard this guest or that guest say that Crowley banged dead babies and now they're convinced 100% it's true. I just don't know about that. I think we see elements that players of the power pyramid are interested in Crowley's work and so we lump him in as one of them but perhaps he was just trying to unlock the power of magic and thus powerful people want to know how far he got. I think I would also go as far as to say that there's probably something of value in every person to extract. Even the worst of the worst have probably said a few things that were slightly insightful that you could take and incorporate into your own life. Enough with the blanket statements sometimes. When we throw out those blanket statements and shut the doors to other alternatives, we really miss out on the nuance in the middle, which is where everything is. If the magic is real, and it's a functioning part of reality, it in and of itself is not evil. It's just unfortunate that only evil people seem to want to use it. We all have goals and dreams that we're trying to achieve, but for some reason when you use magical means to get those things, all of a sudden you're a bad person. I reject that. My goals and dreams are not going to get in anyone else's way. My goals and dreams are altruistic, and so I think if I use sigils or this or that or contact some entity to get there, well, judge accordingly. But I guess I would have to cite the immortal words of the wise sage Ice-T and say, don't hate the player, hate the game. I didn't make the rules. Crowley didn't make the rules. There's a lot of things in the magical toolbox that don't involve raping and murdering children. And when you consider that that's all it is, you're, again, missing out on a lot of the nuance. I'm rambling, but I'm only saying that even if we're 80% convinced of something, we should still be open to hear another perspective and say, eh, well, that's an interesting way to see things without having a near mental breakdown. Same goes for today's guest, I guess. I enjoy pushing the envelope and challenging even my own ideas sometimes and letting a guest come on to do that because this is the place for it. If you want a singular narrative, you're going to have to go watch Fox News or MSNBC because this is about the breadth and variety of ways to look at things in the alternative world. We know they're lying to us. We just don't know to what degree. So let's look at all of them. So I hope this was some good food for thought, as was last week's. I would store it in the back of your mental filing cabinet. And then when you see something in world events that seems a little off from the model you have, pull this out. Think about what Tolik said and see if it fits his model. 
In fact, a real synchronicity did happen when I was recording the next Higher Side episode, and our upcoming guest was describing an element of Native American culture where they used to have a specific title for someone who was an advisor to the Mesoamerican elders, and that title was Tolekiel. Tolekiel. Tolek. Could the vastly more tuned-in Native Americans have had people in their circles getting similar messages and going by a similar title? I'm unsure, but the phonetic similarity really did kind of blow my mind, especially since this episode isn't even out yet. How weird that the next one would contain that same Tolek term. I think that's only in the Plus show, though, but now I've told you in advance. It's also one of the many reasons that you should sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus. As more and more shows come out, you're only hearing half of them. I just think it's like you're in part of a book club that you love, but you only read the first 10 chapters of the book. You're out of the loop. I only ask for $5 to get you in the door, and I think it's way more valuable than that fiat paper five spot is anyway. I hope that if you like the show, that you'll take the two minutes it takes to go to thehiresidechatsplus.com, sign up, and then plug in the plus RSS feed into whatever you use to listen, and then you're good. In this show with Tolik, we talked about what else is going on inside the planet, outside of the now-defunct reptilian bases saga. We talked about descriptions of other beings, all the way up to the 90 entities he has insights into the coming changes in the financial system and the blockchain's role in that, the DNA changes coming in the future, and what to expect, how to prepare ourselves. We talk about a bunch more, too. I mean, it's a whole second hour. So get with the program, and let's make some beautiful music together. That's it for me this week. Big thanks to Tolik. I'll be patiently waiting for my Andromeda Council connection, and I'll be sure to let the good people of the internet know if I get that special tingle anytime soon. You are really, really going to love the next episode. I cannot wait to release it. It's information that I don't think is out there very much, and I considered a blending of Chris Knowles and Court Lindahl, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. But until then, I've done my part. Your move, remnants of the Reptilian Network, intergalactic, interstellar council members, and united forces against the big machine. Your fucking move. I won't take it. No, I refuse. If it's alright, I'll keep my refuge. I've been scheming of bigger things and have to leave my old life behind. Gotta transfer to the inner earth. I built a box, built a hole. Got a neat elevator going under. And now you'll find me in the bunker.
The best protection of all is the special shelter built according to specifications of your local civil defense organization. The basement of any house or building will become a good improvised shelter if you block the windows with sandbags. If you don't have sandbags, just what can you do? Bunker, take it under. You'll find me in the bunker, bunker, bunker. Take it under. You'll find me in the bunker, bunker. Take it under.